responsibility as a leader is to clarify what the job is. You have to be specific. You cannot make assumptions that an employee knows what they're doing, whether they've been there for 10 days or 10 years. Most of the time, people do not know what they're actually responsible for. Second thing is you have to give them the resources they need to do their job, whatever that is, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, headphones to make cold calls or a comfortable desk chair or, you know, an effective CRM or enough leads, whatever it is, the resources for them to do the job that they're getting paid to do. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Guys, today I get the opportunity to interview Mason McDonald, a former hospital CEO turned land flipper. And this is going to be so fun for me because a lot of times we bring on people, they're really, really good with the sales, but they don't have the systems element in place, or at least that takes a long time for them to develop. Mason's coming from a system CEO background into the land flipping business. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn about A, either land flipping or B, how do we install systems in our business that allows us to scale and have some great growth? This is going to be the episode for you. So Mason, thank you so much for, for joining us today and take us into right away. You were in a CEO position for a hospital, right? I mean, this is a pretty solid position. What gave you the cojones to leave that job and go for land flipping? Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. And yeah, you, you hear my story and people look at me and think I'm, I'm the craziest person in the world. You know, you've made it, you made it in corporate America. You're at the top. Why the hell would you leave that job and go into this weird niche in real estate investing? Um, you know, the, the reason I got in, it was my first deal. Uh, you know, a lot of people hit grand slams on their first deal or lose money on their first deal. I made 114 grand on my first land flip. Whoa. Now we need the backstory on this. Like, dude, how did you even become aware of land investing? Yeah. So I, I always wanted to invest in real estate. Uh, you know, saw it, my, my dad invested in commercial real estate. So I saw the benefit that it provided to him and uh, did what everyone did. I learned about it, listened to bigger pockets, uh, you know, read all the books, spent thousands of hours learning, finally saved up enough money to invest. Uh, was going to go invest in a townhome development, heard about land flipping, took a course, uh, and that just got me going. Um, I followed the exact steps of the course that I took. And in about August, September of 2021, sent out my first round of direct mail marketing. And in November of 2021, I bought my first parcel or first three parcels of land in a combo deal, paid 40000 for it. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Didn't know what I was doing. I just spent 40 grand, you know, on, on this, these random pieces of land that I wasn't sure what you could do with, didn't do anything the right way. And I saw that the parcel right, right below one of mine, of my three parcels sold for $150,000 the month before. So in that moment, I quit my job and put it on the market at 200,000. Three days later, we got an offer for 185,000. And Jeez. Yeah, so that 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 turned me on to it and realized this is the best, easiest, and most profitable niche in real estate. So, um, yeah, so through education and then having success in my first deal got me onto it. When I, because our similar our stories are somewhat similar in the sense that it was real estate investing that kind of opened my eyes to the real estate world as well. Do you measure? that profit against how much you make? Like I did like, oh, this was a one years or a half a years or whatnot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Where, 
you know, I, I calculated how much time I actually spent on that deal, you know, not stressing about it or thinking about it, but actual work. And it took me about two and a half hours total. Whoa. And so, you know, you can look, look at it from an hourly rate perspective, but exactly, you know, as a hospital CEO, you have a decent salary, not as good as everyone thinks it is. Um, but that right there, uh, post-tax income was probably nine, 10 months of my salary in one deal. And that, that broke my brain, made me realize what was out there, what was possible. And, you know, and I, I was lucky and blessed that it was my first one. Uh, but yeah, that right there, I was like, well, if I do one of these a month, uh, that'd be great. But what if I could do 50 a month? And that's kind of how my brain works. Yeah. I mean, you've gotten a taste of it, right? So a lot of times, I, I don't know if it's just happenstance, but for a lot of us, like it was is my case, uh, one of my best deals ever was my first deal ever. And while I was working a job, I'm assuming your next deals didn't go quite, quite the same. Tell us about how the deals flowed after that. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think the funny thing is, you know, I, I left corporate America. I worked for a Fortune 200 company, managing a hospital, had hundreds of employees, but healthcare is the most regulated industry in the United States. So the amount of red tape, yellow tape, black box thinking that you have to do in there, uh, it's overwhelming. So whenever I got started, I said, I'm going to be the most and can creative you, Can dude. you define black box thinking? Yeah, just you, you can, you operate inside this individual box and you can't yep. see what's beyond it. Got it. Uh, because of the amount of burden of regulatory and financial obligations that you have um, is kind of how I view it. Yeah. And um, so I, I moved into this space, entrepreneur, uh, you know, unlimited creative thinking. Um, the, the way I get my deals is direct mail marketing. Mm. And what I did not do for the first four months that after I quit my job was send a single piece of mail. I tried texting and phone calls and email, and I wasn't getting any deals. So four months, you know, I, I made good money on that deal, obviously, wasn't stressed. My wife works, she's the sugar mama that pays the bills. So mm. was able to keep all the money in the business, but um, didn't get any deals. And then I said, what the heck are you doing? Go back to what works. Uh, within a week after sending my next round of mail, I got five more deals. Um, so each of those, they're still paying me. Uh, three of them are on uh, notes, so they're paying me every month. but made another hundred grand off those five deals. And, uh, but it, it was funny of, you know, going from, you know, the red tape to unlimited thinking, thinking that I could be more creative than the systems that actually work. Um, and realizing and proving, you know, proving the world, right. Of do what works. Don't try to get creative until you understand what you're doing. Yeah. Incredible. So now that you've done these next five deals, now it's like, okay, that wasn't a one-off that I didn't just get lucky. Mm-hmm. Then what was the thought process? You know, I, I think it was um, focusing, you know, and changing my focus on instead of, you know, profit or how much money I'm making, uh, focusing on the lead measures of what actually works. You know, you discovered very quickly that direct mail marketing is the most effective way to market, at least in my business, um, you know, for flipping land where you're buying land from people that have typically owned it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I was on the phone with someone right before this call that's owned his land for 41 years. And um, so that's what I focus on, of putting all of my money into marketing and into direct mail and iterating the system from there of getting the cheapest mail in the most systematized way and utilizing an effective CRM where I am a systems guy, just like you said, you know, I'm obsessed with process improvement. I, for the manufacturing and healthcare people out there, I have a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. And so you're always looking at reducing 
uh, reducing waste and eliminating variation. And I had so much variation when I first got started. Um, my data wasn't clean in my mail. I was getting 20% return to sender. So uh, just kept getting better systems, uh, utilizing better, you know, better software and better mail houses and everything. And finally, I've got it to the point where it's, you know, I, I work on my business for, you know, a lot more now because I'm having fun again. Um, mm. But it's, um, you know, just focusing on the lead measure of just, you know, if mail sends you, gets you deals, send more mail. That's it. So I would really like you to diagram out this journey. I mean, I'm super thankful you're bringing in a lot of these business principles. So, so the main two things that you were focusing on was minimizing waste and reducing variables. And so mm -hmm. that being said, like, take us through the journey. Like, what were some of the thoughts that were happening? What were some of the struggles? What were some of the successes, the breakthroughs? If you can kind of give us like, in a, like a story format. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to like the pipeline of the business and kind of my thought process align where you know, you, you pull data um, from various landowners throughout the United States, you send them mail, you get a response, you close the deal, you sell the deal. And I think, you know, at the beginning, I was looking at whatever the systems were that were recommended to me. And I was tracking my data from the person, you know, I, I was being cheap. I was using Excel to track all my data instead of using a CRM. Um, and I was using the mail house that was recommended to me. And whenever I was doing the math of my data was bad, the data that I was using was bad. And I I had about a 9% error in my data, meaning that there was ownership, you know, errors, there was sale data errors, stuff wasn't matching up. And then you combine that with a 19.6% return to sender, you're, you're wasting a ton of money, yeah. you know, and mail's cheap. So the cost per lead is cheap, but whenever you're wasting you know, 20 to 30% of your time doing stuff that you don't need to do, you know, think about them, how many more deals you could do, um, you know, that way. So, and then, then what started happening, you know, along the pipeline. So got better data, got a better mail house, my due diligence where, uh, you know, knock on wood, I haven't lost money on a deal yet, but I got really close and it's cause I didn't have a system in place to do appropriate due diligence. So I bought six acres, uh, out here in Colorado. It was divided up into four parcels. Uh, the parcels in that neighborhood were selling for about seventy to ninety thousand each. Uh, I got those six acres for five thousand dollars, and the problem was that land was zoned open space. I didn't do the appropriate work on my due diligence. I thought I was going to be able to rezone, replat the land, you know, individually uh, divide it. Uh, learned from the county after I bought the land uh, that open space zoning is zoned that way in perpetuity. And so I ended up selling it to the HOA in the neighborhood for $6,000. Didn't lose money. I made $141 after all costs <laughs> considered. Uh, but that right there made me force me to get a different system in place to, you know, humans cause more error than anything else. And I am a human and I am a naturally lazy person. And so I needed to eliminate myself from the process. So I fired, I fired myself as being in charge of due diligence and got someone else doing that for me. Um, now, this is this is really interesting because you being a CEO, like you fired yourself. Like, did you hire somebody in the U.S.? Did you hire somebody overseas? Uh, yeah, I use a team. They're called parcel detectives. Uh, yeah. I encourage, you know, anyone in the land investing space to go check them out. They do a great job. Um, I, I, they are overseas. I pay uh, $17 per due diligence report, which for me is absolutely worth it. Um, because they have all of the criteria that I need. 
they call the county, they call the city, they call everyone that I would have had to call and spend hours and hours on the phone waiting on, you know, waiting on hold or not getting called back. They do it all for me. And I know they're right every time. Um, so that's what I did for that particular step is I outsourced it in uh, a cheap way that's, you know, if you, you do the math there from an hourly perspective, it just, it works and it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, $17 and I do it anywhere in the country. Yep. Yeah. So I send them uh, the parcel number, the county and the owner's information and they, they do it all. Send me a beautiful report 24 hours later. So you've got mailed dialed, you're getting great responses. Like how did you learn the sales process? On the acquisition side or mm -hmm. the sales side? Oh, both. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the process is pretty simple. You know, you either send blind offers in the mail or neutral letters. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I want to buy your land for cash type of thing. Um, I, I think I learned it just by, um, kind of, kind of figuring out what people's pain points are and solving yeah. the problem. So, you know, in healthcare, we have constant problems, you know, whether it's, you know, challenges with the systems that are currently in place or employees that have issue and what you're looking for is the root cause of that problem. And you can typically find that out with a seller pretty quickly. Um, why did they call you? If they called you there, there's one of two reasons. One, they get off on cussing you out and saying you're the scum of the earth, offering them money for their land. Um, or two, they're interested in selling. Uh, so you have to determine, are they a motivated seller and an unmotivated seller? And if they're motivated, it's just math of this is how much I can pay for it. This is how much, because, you know, based on my, my return on equity or, or my cash on cash return for the deal. Um, and if they're an unmotivated seller, it's the exact same thing, but you're able to pick out just by listening to them, you know, let them talk, let them give you permission to make an offer, uh, which is anywhere from, you know, one to 60 cents on the dollar. And just really, really focusing on that pain point, um, you know, for them, whether it's paying property taxes or the fact that it's dreams that were squashed of them not developing that land one day, uh, you know, really helps on the sales side from an acquisition perspective. On the disposition side, uh, I don't know, I give them to realtors that are better at selling than me. So I just pass it off to realtors, give them, you know, a higher commission than what they would get with anything else. Yeah. And they sell it for me. Beautiful. And so what's your follow-up process look like, or is there follow-up? Yeah, it, it's changed over time. So I have a full-time acquisition manager who's salary plus com commission. Uh, so he does the follow-up for me and he does a great job. He's got 20 plus years of real estate experience in the corporate world, um, doing huge acquisitions, syndications, development, finance, and everything. So he's better than me. Uh, but typically when a lead comes in, whether it's, back through the mail, a phone call, an email, or through one of my websites. Uh, we just give them a call, see what's going on with their land, um, open up a due diligence report, and we give them an offer, you know, within 24 hours typically. And that math either works for them um, or it doesn't. And I think that's one of the biggest, you know, negotiation tactics from a follow-up perspective is we follow up with everyone and we'll close every deal that makes sense for us to close. Uh, but we don't need to buy any piece of land. Uh, if, if, as soon as you need to do it, you've lost the negotiation, you've lost the deal because then the power is with the seller, uh, as versus with you of, if it's just a numbers game and it's, there's no emotion tied to it, then, uh, you know, follow-ups really easy from there. Cause they know how much we're going to pay. And we've gotten deals of right before this call, I got three leads in the past, you know, 15 minutes from people that I mailed over a year ago, uh, that, you know, they, 
we had reached out to them when they reached out to us initially, they couldn't do it. And now they're coming back a year later, which that was very strange that it happened right before this. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Being a CEO, you're going to come into a business very differently than a entrepreneur who's getting started for the first time. A lot of like agents turn investors sort of thing. How much of the business did you have to do personally before you turned it over? And how much did you just hire out immediately? Uh, I did it all personally for probably the first 10 months. And I, I say that I'm 18 months into this, this fun adventure that I'm going on. I think uh, it, it was an interesting transition um, for me going to having, you know, 20 plus direct reports and hundreds of employees to uh, one. And mm. I, I would, you know, say, oh, you know, this task needs to be done. Someone needs to do that. And then I'm looking around and it's just me. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, the way, the way I've worked on building the systems is, uh, I felt very uncomfortable hiring my employee, um, especially hiring someone better and smarter than me doing it. Uh, not from the standpoint of, I feel, um, intimidated by him as a person, uh, but I feel intimidated in making sure that my business and business and systems are in place to ensure that he's able to get the money that he needs to, you know, yeah. feed his family and everything like that. So. Once I got it to as, as good as I could get it, uh, then I realized I needed to bring, you know, outside help. Uh, I think, you know, it's kind of funny story of, you know, I've got a buddy that him and I work out, you know, together every day. We talk business together every day. He's a land flipper as well. And I did a personal personality test that he had. And, you know, I got this personality of the rainmaker and it said, this person will close 80 to 90% of the deals in the company. They can make more money than anyone else but they are going to limit the growth because hmm. they are going to try to be too hands-on and cover their bases too much where, you know, that's a you know personal weakness of mind is I'm not a perfectionist by any means, but I feel the need to get my hands on. And so as soon as I got that, I looked in the mirror and posted the job right away of dude, you're the one that's, that's causing you to lose money by not allowing yourself to grow. And, I can tell you now hiring, hiring John, uh, best decision. You know, he just hit 41 days. We're in, we're in May. Now he started in April, uh, since coming on board, he's added, uh, probably half a million in net revenue to the business. That's crazy. So, Is that the same John that works for your friend? 
Uh, no, no, different John. So, so each of you we, and your buddy both hire Johns. Yep, yep, exactly. Right, one after another too. There's too many Johns, both acquisition managers. Uh, but you know, John Glazer, my John, uh, you're the man. Awesome. Oh, this is so cool. And so the so being a CEO, having all these direct reports, do you feel like doing it for a year is necessary for most business owners? I, I think it really depends on on what your strength um, is and your rare and valuable skill. You know, I, I got to the CEO position relatively quickly um, compared to most people because my, my rare and valuable skill is uh, getting people to believe in a vision um, that is greater and beyond themselves and then holding them high, very accountable to it. Of I think a lot of people fail um, in the workplace because uh, they don't know what their actual responsibilities are, you know. So whenever you're able to clarify the responsibility and give people the resources they need to do the job and coach them on it, you're going to be super successful as a manager. So I think a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space don't necessarily use evidence-based management and leadership. So mm -hmm. you need to kind of figure out what your best skill is. If it's sales, maybe you need a manager. Uh, you know, maybe you need to bring someone into your business to help you with all the deficits that you have. Um, so it all depends. I'm a systems guy and I will delegate and abdicate all responsibilities that make sense for me to do it so I can enjoy my life um, and then focus on what I'm really, really good at. Uh, so I, I think that's where it is, is you need to figure out and be humble enough to recognize where you are weak. Um, because I think a lot of people think they should focus on their weaknesses and get better at it. But there's a lot of data out there that shows that's useless. Uh, you need to focus on your strengths and get better at your strengths and then have other people fill in the gaps for your weaknesses. It's amazing how quickly your business can blow up when you do that. Yeah, I remember when I was a math teacher in high school, we had some people come in and show data on that. And they were saying like, okay, if you're weak in an area, you can grow. If you put all this effort into it, you can grow by like 15%. If you take an area of your strength, which you're already 10 times better at, you can actually grow by 85% with the same mm -hmm. amount of effort. And it was like, whoa. Um, right on. That is wild. Um, so yeah, that, that is spot on. So let's talk about evidence-based leadership because this is really one of the things that I, I that I'm not as good at. And so mm -hmm. I, I would really love just, you know, for the people out there for myself, particularly, I want to be a little bit selfish here. Like you, you set up systems, right? So everything's tracked. I'm assuming that's the foundation. That's the evidence part, right? So everything has a number and, and some sort of quantifying, qualifying scenario. What are the conversations like? as far as how do you hold people accountable? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's systematize everything that you possibly can, you know, to take the human element of, you know, out of it, but within evidence-based leadership, which, uh, you know, there, there's a thousand books on leadership. There's one I recommend everyone read. Um, it's called The Leadership Challenge. Uh, I, I can't remember the author's names, even though I've read it, you know, 10 times. But, but that book right there um, will help guide you through every aspect of leadership that you'll ever need. You know, if you read that leadership book, you probably don't need to read any more leadership books. And so I, I think that's what I went, I, I went to school to be a hospital executive. And so I, I've just taken that approach of those three principles that I, I said right there, you know, for any former employees that are listening to this, they've heard me say that in their orientation speech, whenever they come into the hospital is, is your responsibility as a leader is to clarify what the job is. You have to be specific. You cannot make assumptions that an employee knows what they're doing, whether they've been there for 10 days 
or 10 years. Most of the time, people do not know what they're actually responsible for. Second thing is you have to give them the resources they need to do their job, whatever that is, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, headphones to make cold calls or a comfortable desk chair or, you know, an effective CRM or enough leads, whatever it is the resources for them to do the job that they're getting paid to do. And then you need to coach them. You need feedback. I think a lot of people will let, you know, they're afraid of negative feedback and they're afraid of positive feedback, both giving and receiving it. And that has to be a part of the conversation every time you're having a conversation with someone. And I don't mean that from a nitpicky situation, but employees want to do well. And I think a lot of people in management fail to recognize that they really want to do well. And the reason they're not doing well is either they're not in the right position. You know, it goes back to Jim Collins, good to great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, get them in the right position, in the right seat on the, you know, on the right bus. And if it's not working, they're probably in more pain. So get them out. Uh, higher, slow, fire, quick type of thing. So uh, I think I think those three tenets of leadership, though, of, you know, clarify, give them the resources and ongoing feedback and coaching, that right there is all you really need to be a very successful manager. What is your approach to coaching somebody who needs, who's not performing? I, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of similar to what we talked about of with, with you know, the, the inbound lead coming in from a seller is figuring out what the pain point is. Um, I think, you know, professionalism first, but you can't fight a battle on two fronts. If you're having spousal issues or if you're going through something, um, your, your brain's incapable of really focusing and devoting your time to everything else. So check and make sure they're doing okay. Like I said, employees want to do a good job. And if they're not doing a good job, figure out the reason why. So, you know, is it something personal and the, <laughs> The amount of social equity you build just checking in on people and caring about your employees, you know, on a personal level uh, without, you know, crossing any inappropriate boundaries, obviously, is, is crucial. And then two, you know, take a look, you know, within what what I said already of, you know, have, have you done a good enough job as a manager clarifying your expectations? Ask them, ask them point blank. What do you think your job is? Tell me what your responsibilities are. Tell me what metrics you're accountable for. You know, what are your goals or what do you think your goals are? And then, you know, figure out the barrier of what resources do you need to do it? And if you look at all those and you can look in the mirror and say, you know, I've, I've checked on them personally and I've been giving them ongoing feedback and I gave them the resources and they know what they're doing and they're not performing, get rid of them. It's, it sounds harsh. I've, I've hired, <laughs> I've fired a lot of people and people will grow whenever they get fired. There's, there's nothing worse than being an adult and getting written up, you know, it, like I, I wrote people up in my job all the time because, hey, this is what you need to do to be successful. And if you don't do that in the next 90 days, you're going to be fired, you know, put them on a performance improvement plan. It's embarrassing um, to have to deal with that. You know, in elementary school, we had to sign the book. It's the same thing. Uh, so I, I think, you know, just checking those box boxes and making sure you as a manager have done everything you know, is the idea of extreme ownership. But also recognize that, hey, they're their own individual person. They might not be a good fit. Yeah. So you're building this business and you said your goal was to do 50 a month. Like, what is your plan to uh, to 10x your business? Yeah. And, and so 50 a month was kind of just an idea. Um, yeah. To me, uh, I don't necessarily care how many deals I'm doing. I'm looking at it more from a net revenue perspective. 
um, of how much money I'm actually take home profit EBITDA, you know, earnings before incomes, taxes, depreciation, amortization. So for me, uh, you know, my, my business goal, you know, I, I surpassed my income six months in, you know, as a hospital CEO, uh, this year, my goal was seven figures. Uh, we should probably hit that in the next few months. Um, you know, in we're, we're recording this in May, May of 2023. Uh, so, so for you're, you're going to hit it halfway through the year. Ideally. Yeah. So I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've condensed my year into, you know, the 12 week year, if you've read that book. So yeah. I, I've shifted the mindset of, you know, turning what my initial annual goal was into 12 week goals. Um, so, you know, Q2 2023, our goal was uh, create half a million in net revenue in the pipeline, you know, kind of AR, just because it depends yeah. on how long it takes for properties to sell is that metric that we focus on. And I think right now we've, after all these properties, you know, go under contract that we're currently working on, we've probably hit 700K this quarter already, um, uh, which is which is fun. So. I think it's, um, you know, in terms of 10xing the business, you know, ideally in the next next few years, um, getting to 10 million net revenue per year, uh, you know, maybe next year is focus on what works. It's I, I send mail. So instead of sending, you know, 10,000 letters a month, send 100,000 letters a month, um, you know, with higher quality data, split testing, depending on, you know, what what the best type of mail, whether it's a handwritten or a postcard. And it's it's so funny talking about, you know, a a $10 million EBITDA business getting driven entirely by sending, you know, those goofy postcards in the mail, but dude, it works. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just that of, you know, figuring out the, you know, increasing the pipeline of the amount of mail sent and then making sure that, you know, there's enough employees, uh, you know, to support it from an acquisition manager standpoint, and then everything else is, you know, automated, uh, yeah. or delegated to outside sources. We're not selling it ourselves. We're giving it to realtors. So, um, you know, I, I don't like answering the phone anymore. And uh, so I just have to hire, I, I could probably hire one more acquisition manager and they'd be able to manage that that call volume. And I comp them really well. Um, you know, I pay them a, a really, really decent salary or well, really decent commission compensation mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, for it. And so you pay your people well, you treat them right. They're going to make you a lot of money. Yeah, man. Oh, man. So what are some additional words of wisdom on topic or off topic that you would have for people either getting in the land business or just for business owners in general? I think, uh, I think the kind of best piece of advice that I can give, you know, both whether it's the land business or just business owners in general is, uh, j just take immediate action. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people that are type a, or, you know, scared to get involved, uh, they get in that analysis paralysis. And I, I know that that seems like a vague answer, but pulling the trigger on buying that, you know, I saved up 60,000 for my business, you know, or to invest in real estate. And I spent 40,000 on my first deal and it was terrifying. It made me want to throw up thinking about it, but pulling the trigger right there and taking action, even though I didn't have all my ducks in a row, ended up fundamentally changing, you know, the course of my life. And so I think if you can take immediate action on anything, whether it's, you know, just sending mail or, you know, joining a coaching program or just learning about the business, you know, through YouTube and everything else, um, you know, learn a little bit and then start taking action and then iterate from there. You know, it gets easier and it gets better, but the only way to learn is actually do it. Wow. What is your vision for the next 12 to 18 months in your life and business? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the next handful of months, my, my wife is still working. She's a software engineer. Uh, we'd like to get her 
her out and in her own entrepreneurial world, you know, doing her own businesses and everything like that. So I think that's a big one. Um, and to me, it's uh, continuously um, both vertically and horizontally integrating within the business of, you know, I, I've got one commercial building that I bought, you know, I want to use the profits from the land business to get into more uh, commercial and multifamily real estate, as well as development. Um, I think there's a lot of lending opportunities that I'd be interested in, you know, creating, creating funds and creating, uh, you know, essentially a bank um, for land investors as well as something that I'm working on. And then uh, right now I'm, I just started uh, coaching, coaching students. Uh, I've got my business so systematized and automated that I have a little bit more time on my hands to teach. And um, I'm, like I said, I'm used to having a lot of employees and now that I just have one, and he doesn't need too much help. You know, we check in, you know, a couple times a week, but he's killing it. So helping other people get started. You know, one of my, one of my first students, uh, two days ago, he just got his first deal under contract at 31,000. He's selling it for 90 grand. And that, I mean, that hypes me up of, you know, it's the abundant abundance mindset of he just won, you know, his goal was to make 50 grand his first year. He's going to make 43,000 on his first deal. Like he's going to be able to leave his job soon. Um, so, you know, shout out to Matt, you know, on his first deal, uh, so I'm um, having fun doing that and kind of building the business, building the brand and everything like that. And just travel more. Um, you know, it's, it's fun being an entrepreneur. It sure is, man. Great way, way to, way to say that. So Mason, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business for, I mean, like, first of all, kudos, man, for leaving your job. Like that's a big thing, right? For taking action enough to do a deal, to leave your job. And then obviously sticking with it. You did a whole year, basically more or less where you did the grind before you, so just kudos, man. For those of you out there listening, take some notes. I mean, we got into like how to manage, how to build a great team, how to build processes. We got into so much today. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 